point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Today is Wednesday, April 29th, and that was Michael Douglas in a scene from the movie Wall Street you heard at the top of the podcast. Apparently, Adam, a sequel to the film is in the works. Can't imagine what that's going to be about. I have a theory. Yes. Wall Street. <laughs> I, think, I think you're probably right. All right. So we are going to be talking about the pit perils and pitfalls and and scary aspects of measuring risk with um, famous risk measurer or anti-risk measurer, Nassim Taleb. We're also going to hear about a listener who's who's had some good luck, an update on, on someone we reported on earlier. But first, today's planet money indicator is 6.1%. Uh, negative 6.1%. Right. This is something I – economists – when they when the economy shrinks, they say the U.S. economy grew by negative 6.1% in the first three months of the year. Um, those of us who speak the English language, we would say the economy shrunk by 6.1%. And, you know, we're talking about gross domestic product, GDP. And that tells you that for the last three quarters of a year, the U.S. economy has been contracting. People are spending less and less of their money, which means that people are making less and less money. Right. And shrinking by 6.1 percent, that's that's pretty bad. Um, the trend growth rate, sort of what you expect the U.S. Uh, economy to do in normal times is about 3 percent. So we're we're closing in on 10 percent less than what we should be. The, our growth rate is 10 percent off. But um, I will say there is some signs of hope. First of all, that is higher that, that we, we shrunk less than last quarter, the previous quarter. Right, when we shrunk by 6.3%, so only by 0.2%. That's not much. This this is this number is much worse than what analysts were expecting. But strangely, one thing that was definitely good news is consumer spending was up. So gross domestic product is made up of a lot of things, how much the government spends, how much consumers spend, how much companies invest in new factories and new equipment and Government spending and investment was way down, but consumer spending was up. So that's a good sign because consumer spending drives the overall economy, um, and we really want that to turn around. You know What's what that, that sound is? <laughs> that's is that the sound of me raining on your parade. <laughs> <laughs> consumer spending was up a tiny bit after six months of falling. Um, the real story is that consumer spending has fallen and that it's barely trying to get back up on its knees, but it hasn't gotten back to the level it was before it fall- fell. Right. That's definitely true. But maybe, and we don't know, we won't know for a long time, but maybe when we look back at the graph of this period, today will be the day we learn that the graph started sloping upwards in an aggressive way. We can at least hope, right? We can, we can hope. 
All right. I'm not against hope. All right. Let's let's move on to <laughs> even um, though I am an angry thundercloud. You are an angry thundercloud, but a hopeful one. Um, so yesterday, Alex, in this very room, I uh, had a nice talk with Ian Bremer. He runs Eurasia Group, which is uh, right across the street here. They they're a consultant group that studies countries all over the world, tries to figure out what kind of risks are going on. And I also had here very excited to spend some time with him, Nassim Talib. Um, I think he's sort of maybe second only to Nouriel Roubini, is the leading dark Mediterranean doomsayer who predicted the collapse of the economy. Right. He he wrote, uh, uh, Talib wrote Black Swan and Fooled by Randomness, um, neither of which I've read, but you have. Well, I think you should read them. They're very good. And um, basically what, what he does again and again is explain just how seduced Wall Street and others can be by numerical measuring of risk and how that fools us into believing that the system is more robust and solid than it is um, and that really we're, we're, we're just a bunch of fools uh, when, when we think we're measuring risk in any accurate way and then acting on it. So here's what surprised me. I thought we we're going to have a nice, juicy heated argument between Nassim Taleb and Ian Bremmer. Because as a provocateur, there's nothing you like better. I, I love... As I love having a nice fight between two people who call themselves friends. <laughs> On tape. <laughs> On tape, exactly. Well, I am a radio reporter. So, you know, Ian relies on numbers a lot in his work. And I thought Nassim would say, you fool, you've been fooled by randomness. Right, because Ian is always sending out notes predicting things like there's a 30% chance the military will return to power in Pakistan, that sort of thing. And Nassim has been very critical of trying to use mathematical precision in this way. Right, and so... I thought I had set up a nice little argument. Anyway, it turned out Nassim just had nice things to say about Ian. Ian is not doing what uh, Wall Street did. Uh, Ian is, is just putting numbers, going through an exercise that probably uh, uh, it's a, a narrative exercise to try to see what is fragile out there. Okay, and and he has some form of belief, but probably not very strong belief. So his probabilities are not. Uh, what we call tradable probabilities. He's not building derivatives on that instrument. Okay, he's just talking to you guys. He's not selling bonds priced based on that probabilities. Okay. So, th- I mean, this reminds me of like decisions I made when I was a Middle East correspondent. Like, should I travel through the night in Baghdad or something like that? It wasn't like I was saying, oh, there used to be a 23.7% chance that I'll, something bad will happen, but that risk has been elevated to 74.9%. It's just a rough estimate. I might say, well, I used to feel it's like a 20% chance. Now I feel like it's more like an 80% chance, so I'm more nervous about it. You know, I think – so Talib is saying it's like you can't – you can use numbers to just kind of express your subjective guess. Right. He doesn't have a problem with the weather report, for example. Like he doesn't say you shouldn't look at the – Look at the look at the news and see what the chance of rain is before you have a picnic. But he thinks probabilities are dangerous if you're using them to create these financial securities. And the reason is because once there's a number, it makes the risk. Once you assign a number to something called risk, it makes the risk seem manageable. It makes the risk seem less risky. Numbers don't make your risk averse. Make your risk loving. Re- remove your risk aversion. Okay. So the answer is uh, ban these products. <laughs> That's it. These products will disappear. The self. With all securitized products. I think any product that relies on mathematics for its uh, survival, other than some classes of uh, things I call listed vanilla options that rely on supply and demand, any number that rely on mathematical models 
will disappear or needs to disappear because we know nothing about uh, these uh, probabilities. And and the past, of course, is no indication, and I've proved it, and I mean that, that rare events never have predecessors. So how can you see it in the past, right? So um, if, if a crash of 87 didn't have a predecessor, okay, you wouldn't see it in the past, right? So it's no excuse to say, oh, this event didn't have a past. So the, the, this idea of using historical analysis is completely bogus. And the idea of making a priori theory of what, the probability of the event should be is also bogus, so we should abandon them. That was the idea of taking uh, the, 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 these points that are obvious to the logical con- conclusion, okay, has offended a lot of people. But that's my idea. We should ban these products. That's why I want them banned, banned, banned. They're like weapons in the hands of children who don't understand them. All right, so I got to say, I'm a big fan of Nassim Taleb, so I say with love... This is a crazy and extreme <laughs> point of view. I think that's obvious. He's saying that basically almost all the activity on Wall Street and London and any financial center should be made illegal. And what he's talking about, you know, crunching numbers and using math to build financial securities, there are entire like neighborhoods in this very island on which we are, Manhattan, made up of nothing but people – doing that and he's not he's saying ban all of them he's not just like I'm, ta- I'm not talking about like the super crazy toxic assets that brought down the financial system he's talking about like a huge huge segment of our economy right and and he's saying it for this very interesting reason which is he says we don't need these complicated instruments we don't the more complicated we make our approach to managing risk is dangerous because the world is so complicated as it is right the world is totally complicated because it's so incredibly interconnected and more interconnected than it ever has been in the past. So it's really hard to predict what's going to happen. Like a bunch of people are laid off in Wall Street, say, and they stop buying gifts at Bloomingdale's, which I'm told is something that Wall Street people do for each other around Christmas time. Um, We don't do that here at NPR. But so Bloomingdale stops ordering those gifts from China. A couple factories in China shut down. Those factories in China buy less copper from Africa. People in um, in Africa buy fewer Apple computers. Um, California suffers. Fewer California visitors to New York City. You see how, how things are interrelated. Okay. So this environment makes predictability of economic events very difficult because you can't say, well, if this happens, it's much more complicated. So you 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 uh, the planet. So then the second point is random variable become excessive, like oil prices can go from $27 a barrel to $150 a barrel, probably to $5 a barrel, probably back to $1,000 a barrel. You see the idea, these things that we've never seen in history happen that fast. So you need to be protected against these wild gyrations in, in demand, it surges and things. We've never seen that in history. So economists, particularly U.S. government economists, they're not equipped to understand that environment. They're, 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 they're trained in conventional ways. They cannot understand it. Now, I looked at Mother Nature and realized how does Mother Nature, a complex system, counter, okay, the dangers of complexity. Well, it kills everything that's big very early. So the largest thing I have out there is an elephant. And if you shoot an elephant, you're not changing the ecology. Whereas economic system doesn't have that uh, uh, resilience because if I shoot down Lehman Brothers, okay, I've shot down the entire financial system, you see. So we, we... eventually need to be organized in a way that resembles Mother Nature with nothing too big to fail, with uh, products that are 
much less uh, sensitive to large deviations, namely, uh, you know, just very simple financial products. And what people don't like, um, and I say, sorry, but we can no longer afford debt. Debt doesn't give you room for error. You see, if you have, if you're laden, any kind of debt or just massive leverage, uh, leverage debt. Well, you can, you know what, you could have had any kind of debt in 1980 when we had about a third level of debt uh, to GDP that we have today. But today, I think that we have to have much lower debt than that, than that even the one we had in 1980. Unfortunately, because there's no room for error, because I, I, you, you know, unless you shut down the internet, unless you stop globalization. There's no room for error. So we're going to have to live with much lower leverage in the economy. You may have some debt. You, know, you, can, you can have credit, uh, letters of credit and stuff like that. But debt is something that fragilizes the system. You have to choose, right? No. Debt or globalization. Wow, that is really – that's really um, – that's a stark choice. Debt or globalization. Yeah. yeah. I mean Nazi like – some of what he says is so reasonable and so smart and then – a lot of the other things he says are very smart, but it, it's shocking. Um, it just fr- seems like hard to uh, hard. To, like I can't um, see how that choice gets made. Like it seems like debt and globalization are, are pretty much here to stay. It doesn't seem like the, the the steps you would have to take to change those things. You know? Yeah, exactly. But he has a way, right? He has a well. A he method. says here are the. There's a very small list of financial products that should be allowed, and that's it. I would allow futures. Okay. I would allow uh, vanilla options provided they're listed on an exchange. And I would allow um, (coughs) equities. In other words, uh, you can have... What about bonds? You can have... I mean, bonds, you can't ban... I was talking about in a class, in certain class securities. But uh, bonds, I would prefer uh, not to have too much uh, bonds because... uh, I mean, the issuance of bonds um, fragilizes companies. Why not issue equity? I don't understand this bond, but this equity business. Uh, let me give you uh, two data points. Uh, ni- uh, 2000, all right, you had the internet bubble. Warren Buffett was complaining. He said these companies can't borrow $5 million from the bank and can raise a billion in IPO, all right? So we had the bubble deflated. Did anyone suffer? Barely, you see? When, when, because people were not issuing bonds, had people issue, had these companies issued bonds, would be in a, you know would be in trouble. And now we have the opposite. It's not an equity bubbles. I I don't mind, I like bubbles. Bubbles are part of human societies. Fashion bubbles, fads. All right. Let markets have fads. If you don't let companies issue debt, to issue equities, fads will be harmless. So what he's saying is if everybody who gets caught up in some f- new fad like bub- you know some the, the next subprime housing or the next you know pet rock or whatever when you issue equity which means ownership so everyone who's into it owns part of it they they've basically said okay I'm going to give 100 bucks and I'm only going that 100 bucks could go down to zero if this fad disappears it could go up to a million if this fad takes off but I'm going to assume that that's a highly risky ownership stake. But if they lend money, like if you come and say, hey, I'm going to launch Pet Rocks and I give you 100 bucks, I run around thinking, hey, I have 100 bucks. I lent it to Alex, but he's going to give it back to me. So I start making promises with that 100 bucks that I won't be able to fulfill if your fad ends up being a disaster. So that's right. the reason I think. 
It's really crazy, though. I mean, it's just sort of like it's again. It's sort of like he's saying that the thing people normally think of as risky, which is you know, people generally believe. I, I think bonds are safer than stocks, right? Or is like. But I think that's the point that we know equities are risky. We think bonds aren't risky, and we don't realize how risky they actually are. That's his argument, right? Right. I, I'm not saying like I fully endorse this view, but but right. It's so you, what you and Nassim Talib are saying is no, that, no, like, no. I'm trying to explain. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Planet Money's official position is that we just think all financial instruments should be banned. Right. Barter. So, Alex. Yes. Maybe they didn't issue enough bonds. Maybe it's because Chinese copper buyers didn't buy enough things from Africa. I don't know why, but Microsoft has been laying off people in its games division in Washington state. Including our listener, Noel Patterson. And we spoke with him a while back. You might remember his kids were writing up a list of jobs that he might go for, like at the beauty parlor. So we're we're happy to say that Noel did get a job. It's not at a beauty parlor. He's going to be uh, designing game Facebook games for Game House Studios, which sounds right up his alley. Laura Conaway caught up with him uh, his first week at, back at work after 12 weeks of being laid off. This job worked out, and people tell you this, and this I am living proof. It's all in who you know. I, um, my friend that used to work with me at Microsoft had moved on about a year ago, and she now works for, for my new company. And uh, somebody came up to her and said, hey, do you know anybody that might fit this profile? We need to fit it. We, know we need to fill this position. And she says, I know exactly who, who would do that. And she literally contacted me on Facebook and said, hey, give me your resume. And we have this position. So I, I, like within you know, minutes, I sent her the resume. They called me the next day. And I came in and uh, interviewed with them a few days later and met with like two or three of them. It was very informal. This particular group was very, very informal. They took me to lunch, came back, and then I hadn't quite met you know, one-on-one with the manager yet. He sits with me after lunch, after I just had lunch with him, and said, yeah, I got nothing else. That's great. And then the next day, they gave me the job offer. How did your family hold up your kids and everything while you were out of work? Was it scary for them? Could you tell? You know, it's funny. Because I was at home more often, they really, you know, I have two younger boys. They really enjoyed having dad at home. I'd walk them to the bus with mom, and I'd be there when they got off the bus. So they really enjoyed that. But you could see that it was kind of... Uh, getting under their skin a little bit. My younger boy um, didn't like to sleep uh, alone. He has a, his own room, and he, di- and he didn't like to sleep alone. And it, it wasn't like immediately after I lost my job, but you could, um, he kind of got to the point where he wanted to sleep in the same room as his brother or in the same bed with mom and dad, but we didn't like that as much. <laughs> so he, was, he would literally pull in like a little temporary mattress just to sleep on the floor because his brother is in a loft. So he would sleep on the floor so they could listen to the radio together. And and so it was just little things like that. He's a little bit more clutchy. So and then one day my wife was doing a she, as a hobby. She makes like cards, you know, like scrapbooking cards. She makes these beautiful little cards. And he sat down with her one day on a weekend, and he wanted to make something. And he brought it to me later, and it was a card that said, um, you know, keep working hard, Dad. And he you know put flowers on and stuff, just like Mom was doing. And and inside was a very you know very message about you know I know you'll get the right job and Aww. and you know keep working hard it was it was the sweetest thing it's on my dresser it just you know reminds me that uh, it was really affecting all of them and then when I got the job uh, the boys both very much vocalized how excited they were and they both you know told their class the next day and so when I saw their teachers 
Yeah. They're like, oh, yes, they told me about your job. So, you know, we didn't talk about it at dinner or everything, but it was. It was there. It was kind of this hidden thing, yeah. Noel Patterson says his new job doesn't pay quite as much as his old one does, but he really likes the opportunity, and and he's obviously very happy to be back at work. Right. And you can see the picture uh, of that card that his kids made on our blog at npr.org slash money. It's awfully sweet. All right, Alex, I think I think we got to wrap it up here. Keep sending your pictures and stories to planetmoney at npr.org. And please don't forget to call our apology line. That's 202-371-1775. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Thank you for listening. It's a-